a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture as well as dissecting some very important topics of our choosing. It's July 2022 and we're here with part two of our new format aptly called Obsession of the Month. This is where we take a deep dive into everything from new metal videos and the best teen comedies to celebrity tattoos. You know, the important stuff. In this episode we're discussing Baz Luhrmann's highly anticipated big screen comeback Elvis. We'll also be looking back at his filmography and his distinctive directorial style. Elvis is a 2022 biographical musical drama directed by Baz Luhrmann, the infamous Australian film director, writer and producer who's probably best known for his Red Curtain trilogy, Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge. Lerman co-wrote the screenplay for Elvis with Sam Bromwell, Craig Pierce, and Jeremy Donor. Pierce is a long-term collaborator of Lerman. Elvis stars Austin Butler in the title role with Tom Hanks as Elvis's manager, Colonel Tom Parker. The supporting roles from Olivia de Jong as Priscilla Presley, Helen Thompson, Richard Roxburgh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. as B.B. King, David Wenham, Cody Smith-McPhee, and Luke Bracey. The biopic follows rock and roll icon Elvis Presley from his rise to fame to his unprecedented stardom and his tragic death, all through the narration of his enigmatic manager, Colonel Tom Parker. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready. Ready to fly. So Lerman spoke about this film back in 2014, but it wasn't officially announced until March 2019. The front runners for the role of Presley were, uh, honestly, this is just isn't it mortifying. This, this is mad. Um, hold your breath, everyone. Uh, Ansel Elgort, Miles Teller, Austin Butler, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and Harry Styles. So Butler won the role after impressing Lerman with an audition tape of himself singing Unchained Melody. Um, I think it's also, it's interesting that he didn't choose Harry, um, which makes sense because he said that Harry was too much of uh, like an icon himself. I guess too well known. You can't get Harry Styles playing Elvis Presley. if, If it had been Harry, I think it would have been so hard to watch it and not disconnect and be like, with his little accent. Which is Harry Styles, so yeah. It just wouldn't, no. yeah. I can see the sly Elvis vibes, but yeah, too much, too much. Anyway, so right choice out of an extremely, mostly depressing list. Uh, but Ansel Elgort was pretty close as oh well, I think. God. Absolutely grim. So Austin Butler sings the parts of young Elvis while the real Elvis's vocals are used when he's older. Filming began in Lerman's native Australia in January 2020. No, Australia, not the US. Uh, but paused from March through to September due to the pandemic, ofs. Filming wrapped over a year after it began in March 2021. The final cut of the film is two hours, 39 minutes long, but apparently there is a four hour cut which exists, (laughs) which mad, which also contains scenes of Presley with his first girlfriend, Dixie, who cares? And his meeting with President Richard Nixon in 1970, also who cares? The film had its theatrical release in the UK and the USA on the 24th of June, and it's so far grossed a worldwide total of 113.5 million. 
It's also worth noting that the film has had widespread approval from Presley's family, including his daughter, Lisa Marie, his ex-wife, Priscilla, and his granddaughter, Riley Keough, who I learned today, basically. Did you was, not know? I had no idea that yeah, he was Elvis's granddaughter. Yeah, because she's obviously got her, she's got her dad's, Danny Keough's surname. Yeah, I mean, if it had been Riley Presley, I might have got the memo, but... Um, Riley Presley sounds naff, anyway. Uh, do you think he would have been proud of her, like, snogging that corpse in Neon Demon? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, me too. He does that. Lovely. So we're going to have a chat about our, our general expectations and our opinion on um, Baz Luhrmann, our sort of general reactions to the film, things such as look and feel, the musical numbers, um, the performances, and then uh, we're going to go on and have a sort of wider chat about Luhrmann's work. So what were our expectations going into this film? What were your expectations? Because we haven't really discussed, we definitely haven't discussed Baz Luhrmann on the podcast no. before. And I don't think we've really discussed him much in person between ourselves either. No, not really. He doesn't really come up in every conversation. He's not like the best. In, he's not like your favourite in the whole world. Although mm. maybe you're about to announce that. <laughs> Imagine if this is the moment in our friendship that I'm actually like, hey. He's actually, who is David Fincher? I love I'm a big Baz Luhrmann fan. No, um, so heading into this film, I was apprehensive, as I usually am, going into a Baz Luhrmann film. Um, He's known for, I guess, excess and visually OTT films, isn't he? So that always sets a certain tone going in. And also my last experience with his work was not a fun time. His last film was obviously The Great Gatsby in 2013. And I've got many feelings on that, which I'm sure will come up later, but just <laughs> didn't have a great time there. So generally, I suppose my relationship towards Baz Luhrmann, a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I sort of, sometimes I really respect what he's trying to do, though I do feel that he often falls short of execution. Mm. So often feel things feel to me at least a bit of style over substance. Yeah. So for sure. I'm I'm not a huge Elvis fan, but I was just a bit concerned that Baz Luhrmann's take on Elvis was just gonna be like too much. Ridiculous. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I've got similar feelings about Baz Luhrmann and biopics are funny things as well aren't they because mm. i'm not always very warmed i'm again i'm a bit suspicious of them because it's quite easy to get a performance wrong yeah or for it to come off as embarrassing anyway yeah. in any context but then you're also adding as you say lemon into the mix and it's elvis mm. um and like balancing the fact and fiction of stories like that, it's just, you know, who who tells or what particular story do you tell out yeah. of like that person's life? Like it's all a bit, it can be very difficult to get right, actually, I think. I'm not a devoted Elvis fan. Obviously, I appreciate his music and his legacy and that kind of the element of him as just like such a big cultural figure that had such an unfathomable impact on like pop culture generally yeah, like yeah, fandom yeah. like absolutely you know one of the celebrity first. status that like all of those things yeah absolutely so it, absolutely fascinating subject to do a film about so he's definitely not you know never not interesting mm -hmm. like his rise to fame like his really tragic ending his kind of whole career had you know various elements of sort of excitement and um controversy so there's there's yeah so much going on there and when the project was officially announced in 2019. Kind of absolutely makes sense that Baslam would want to cover something like this. It's huge, it's loud, it could potentially be quite garish. And like the mix of costume, like Elvis's costume mm -hmm. and 
yeah, the music, the drama of his life. Totally, yeah, got it. But it was gonna completely hinge on that casting. Like, the, the casting of something like Elvis is such a big deal. Yeah. And I just felt like there was a 95% chance of getting it wrong, actually. Well, it's interesting to me that you mention how biopics are often, like, quite contentious anyway. Mm. And so much of my apprehension going into a biopic a lot of the time is to do with the casting and whether actually the performance is going to end up being like a bad impression right it could so with this especially it could so no offense to nick cage but it could just be like the nick cage-esque or just like dude in a wig basically dude in a shitty elvis wig um doing a really bad impression like it's would be so easy to get wrong so it could just be very cringe um, also, you know that he is going to put some sort of modern spin context <laughs> on it, yeah. which again could work. Um, remixing like Elvis's music could be really interesting or it could not work at all. So definitely felt like a classic kind of, yeah, like, oh, of course, thinking about it, of course, Lemon would want to cover something like this. But there was lots of opportunity for it to go wrong. And as you say, he is a mixed bag generally. Um, yeah. And also his, as I'm sure we'll discuss, like the weight of his kind of earlier work versus his later work, like his earlier stuff is better. Yeah, then Yeah, Gatsby being his last. Mm. Yeah, so it doesn't completely. fill you with hope, does it? No, um, if we So if we give our very general reactions before we go into some more depth. So we went and saw it a couple of days ago. What did you think? Did you have a good time? Um, I definitely enjoyed it 10 times more than I anticipated that I would. Um, it definitely did make me wince with moderate embarrassment in the, in the way that like later day Baz Luhrmann films do. Of course. But I really expected that I would be like crawling the walls and having a bad time yeah. for two and a half hours. For almost three hours, yeah. yeah. But ultimately, like I, I did have a, a nice time with it, I suppose. Um, mm. I was really blown away by Austin Butler. Oh my um, God, yeah. And I do think it's interesting seeing the names that you mentioned that were potential. Imagine if Miles Teller was out. Oh God. Oh, April no. just, April's rolling her eyes I just, here. I, I think, and to Austin Butler's credit, he's got big shoes to fill, hasn't he? And I do think that he embraces it and he carries it without it being like a parody. Yeah. You know, like it's funny that you mentioned Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. but, and 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 Elvis's uh, impact generally on pop culture because I do think that actually, like, for someone that essentially died when he was forty two, forty three, I always forget how young he was. Yeah, he's quite crap. young, and actually, like, he's had such a vast impact on culture on on an ongoing basis for years that actually like it's quite a weighty role to undertake yeah. and it could have just ended up being like a version of a version of a version mm-hmm. of a version yeah like which one are you imitating really? yeah and actually to his credit austin butler like seemed to tackle it quite well it didn't actually feel that long although no to go for a, i mean it was it was long but it wasn't it didn't feel as long as a lot of other no two and three quarter hour films um, we've seen I do feel like it is quite messy. It's very all over the place. But, yeah. like, that, again, like, I feel like I'm going to say this about 15 times, but that ultimately just feels like a massive Baz Luhrmann trope. So, generally, like, I I, I, just, <laughs> I, I thought it was a, a lot better than I anticipated, I yeah. think. Yeah. I agree. I had a good time. 
for something that I wasn't that fussed about until about a month before it came out. And then I thought, yeah, I'd quite like to... To be honest, I wasn't fussed about it until I saw some of the promo with Austin Butler in because I'm inexplicably quite a big Austin Butler fan He's despite only seeing him. He's a delight. I've only seen him in like two films in quite supporting roles before. And for some reason, I've just had like a big thing for him for ages. So... He yeah. seems nice. Lovely boy. Um, yeah, had a good time. Definitely the first good thing Baz Luhrmann's done in like 20 years, which is also mad, yeah, really. absolutely. If Moulin Rouge was, what, 2001? Yeah. Mad. Um, so I'm quite relieved for him in that respect. And uh, as you say, the title performance, and we'll go into more detail, is absolutely nailed. They, they, there were, there was some calls they made, which again we'll go into detail. But things like choosing which vocals to use, that they made absolutely the right decision because yeah, that so. could have been the path in which yeah. it all went wrong. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, like you say, I think it has its flaws, but generally a positive experience. Looked great, so I'd watch it again. Yeah, I definitely would watch it again. Hundred um, percent. Let's talk. I've chosen to put look and feel first because I just. I just couldn't, I mean, like, where do you begin? Like, from the very opening titles, like, the studio credits are completely OTT in this film. So, for the very start, you've got look and feel almost over everything yeah. else. So, design and costumes and editing and the sensory overload. What did you make of that? I just find it funny. And obviously, we've done a bit of a retrospective over the last couple of weeks anyway of revisiting Baz Luhrmann's work it's quite a lot to do in a condensed period it's It's very very, tiring it's all very intense and everything that he makes feels like it's on speed or acid or any other kind of drug it feels like I'm having a migraine constantly it's just an aggressive attack on the senses um Design and costume wise, it's obviously so extravagant, bright, really full on. Felt very in line with, I guess, the historic idea of Elvis as like the king of excess. Oh, yeah. It it makes perfect sense. It's interesting to think about like what you said in terms of like it makes sense actually retrospectively that Baz Luhrmann would want to tackle Mm -hmm. Elvis and his life in the same way that actually when it was announced that he was going to be adapting Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby you're like did make sense to me you're like oh that's a big undertaking oh wait but actually yeah of course it does because it's all about gaudiness it's just excessive yeah yeah um all of the clothes everything Elvis wears just delightful it matches his um because he's like a very like he likes everything like very colourful, yeah. like you know, like poster paint, like palettes, bright colours. Yeah. And he doesn't have to he doesn't actually have to over embellish like any no, of the costumes not at all. because the costumes are pretty much as they were, yeah, really. Exactly. And they were like amazing OTT anyway. Well he's presented in terms of Elvis and Elvis's sort of aesthetic, actually Baz Luhrmann is is presented with something there that is exactly in line with the yeah. type of thing that direction that he would push it in anyway so for him if anything mm. he doesn't really have to amp it no up and they're all recognizable outfits aren't they they're Absolutely. all iconic yeah outfits. and he plays with that in a really like mm. you know interesting way i think because he doesn't have to sort of you know like the thing with gatsby that i think about a lot is the way that he obviously took things from the period and just turned them up to 11, to 11. but with elvis just, just added don't way have to do more, it no, at no. all it was 
nice to not only see some of the iconic like Elvis outfits, but to see sort of some of Priscilla's roles, especially the wedding. Yeah, like the famous. Prada wedding dress or yeah, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I also like the way from a, a costuming point of view that the clothing shift matched the time shift. Mm. So you would see the period in history or the passing of time through the clothes, yeah, which actually yeah. to me, I thought that was a quite a nice nod mm. as well. Um and then, like, genuinely from, like, a costuming point of view as well, again, some of the rendering of the iconic Elvis moments in time were, like, genuinely quite amazing to see. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm thinking a lot about, like, the 68 comeback special, yeah. which is, like, really, really iconic in terms of, like, the moments in the TV special, some of the visuals that yeah, they put yeah. together. But then also, like, that, the leather suit, like, all of that stuff. That's and again, really as someone, out. like, I'm not someone who's, like, a... A, a big Elvis fan but I pretty much everyone will know those key touch yeah absolutely points. so it's it's quite exciting to see them I got genuine happen. chills and that, yeah. the entire the, the entire like 68 comeback special sequence for me is like one of my standout yeah. favourites because it yeah. just did you give you genuine because it's obviously contextualised in terms of like when it is in Elvis's mm. career and like the relationship with Colonel Tom all of that back and forth but it's just like kind of amazing and yeah. then you made me think a lot about how actually like yeah at the time this must have been like insane to see and you oh my know God. That it's like a key yeah. moment in like cultural history mm-hmm. if that makes sense so mm. Yeah, I mean, I thought in terms of, like, the look and the feel of it, it, it seemed to balance perfectly that, like, Baz Luhrmann vibe with, mm. like, actual, like, Elvis's overall aesthetic. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Everything, obviously, I think visually this is a really... It's, it's a bit of a messy film, as you say, but visually it's obviously very impressive costume... Like, the set design is amazing. No dodgy wigs. There's so much to that. look at on screen. Yeah, visually it's gorgeous and it makes sense. Again, yeah. as you say, it's not... Um, it doesn't actually feel like it's been turned up that much, minus the sort of, like, classic, like, weird zoom record spinny oh, shots. Honestly. Like, the editing is the thing that always actually is, like, one of the most distinctive and one of the hardest things to deal with out of a lemon film. Like, it was... Um, when we watched Moulin Rouge the other week, uh, Wes watched it with us and he honestly had his head in his hands for like the first 20 minutes. He was like, I just can't handle this. Like, why is it happening at such speed? It's funny. Like, why it? is it all happening at such speed? You never get a ch- And he always seems to stop. front load a lot of it yeah. as well. So it's same with Gatsby. Like, it yeah. really front loads the absolute intensity, like rapid fire edits the as i say like the zoom the the camera spins yeah. which make me motion sick and this is the same like right off the bat you've got all those like external like cityscape like zooms in that yeah. like make me want to throw up like i'm on a roller coaster it's completely mental and it's exactly what you'd expect but it's always quite like to follow yeah, and then it, it does settle down but I mean, if you can't hack the quick edits of any of his other films, like, this is absolutely not going to be... Yeah, it's um, not a departure, is it? Yeah, and I think, actually, the start of this film... I'm going slightly off talking about the sort of story and the bit here, but because of the sort of frantic... The, the hecticness of the start of the film, as well as the narration, which we'll speak of, I found that, like, quite difficult to place where I was or what was yeah, happening. It yeah, was, like, no, quite discombobulating. Yeah, yeah, um, I'd be really interested to think... 
to see what older generations think of this film because it's obviously going to be really popular with older generations and we were sitting next to some older audience members in the cinema i would love to know the hell they thought of like this very particular style of storytelling i just couldn't imagine that like quite elderly lady next to me being like i love these zoom spin like i love yeah, the, way the camera um, spins it's funny isn't it because we were the youngest in there i think yeah. it was largely like an older demographic and i thought exactly the same thing i was just like christ what do they think of this yeah like, it's just be like bombardment yeah just like the sensors completely over the top <laughs> one of the the things i was most intrigued about and is obviously one of the biggest deals of all about this film is the musical numbers mm -hmm. and the soundtrack so if we talk about that what did you think of the use of elvis the use of music generally because we've had across time with lerman stuff we've had we've had like the moulin rouge mixes yeah we've had just the the slightly baffling contemporary soundtrack of Gatsby. Yeah. Um, we've kind of had a bit of everything and this is almost like a mash of both. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like everything post Moulin Rouge with him is is like putting the contemporary in a non-uncontemporary yeah. setting. So I was slightly concerned that it was this with Elvis's music. It was going to be like insane mashups and to his credit i feel like there's a good use of elvis across the ages and you do get like, yeah the standout key tracks like the key turning points one again one of the really nice things you're saying about like those key moments during his career is like waiting for those key songs yeah. to happen like you know they're gonna come up yeah and then it's just it's it's really fun when they do it is isn't it so i feel like i also think it was really sensible to let austin butler only sing early elvis and not late stage elvis i cannot believe that was him singing early it's elvis nice, as well because it? it sounds really good it does sound convincing and it, yeah and also i kind of liked the fact that it wasn't quite as good as like adult elvis which yeah. gave a sense of it being almost like it hasn't reached its full potential yeah, absolutely. yeah that's exactly so, what i thought yeah, yeah i thought that was really nice and very authentic i just can't believe that's his voice as well i do feel like the merging of contemporary songs though with period pieces like i say it's it is jarring and there were moments of this where i wrote I jarring like it, it doesn't work like there was the moment right at the beginning where he's walking oh my god yeah memphis walking through memphis uh and right. there's just doja cat the Doja Cat bit was so funny because I just looked at you. Somehow, I don't know how I've done this, but I have somehow managed to miss this Doja Cat song, which was released in May. No, I just hadn't heard, didn't, it. hadn't heard it at all. Um, so it's got elements of uh, Big Mama Thornton's Hound Dog in it. It's called Vegas. And yeah, I so I wasn't expecting that. And it came out of nowhere. And we were just looking at each other like, Oh, okay. It's going to be like one of these soundtracks. That was the moment for Hilarious. me where I was just thinking like, how is any other person in this cinema receiving this currently? So I just, I don't think it works. I I do think I've, my tolerance for the merging now is like, is minimum. And there were, there were, there were moments throughout that I thought like, oh, actually, yeah, okay, that's quite fun. So there is the bit that, mild spoiler, I suppose, they use like Britney Spears as toxic yeah, at one yeah. point. And then there's a, Backstreet Boys. Yeah, there's Backstreet Boys. And it's not overt because it's just the melody. But mm. like that's fine. But I do just feel like it's 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 to me it's like Baz Luhrmann's fault now that films seem to consistently do this like slightly anachronistic 
yeah. throwing of, yeah. of things together and I, I just my tolerance has waned I will say yeah I think it's I couldn't quite pinpoint what I wanted instead like it's hard to formulate my thoughts on it but there's some kind of there's like a few remixes on that soundtrack which are remixes without I don't know without having like Eminem on it or it, it, I don't know it's a, a remix that kind of works and then there's these there's a few like direct covers so you've got like a, a Casey Musgraves cover yeah fine and um like there's a stevie nicks cover actually which is quite good yeah um and they kind of work but then you've got these other yeah like very like the doja cat the eminem and dre like they're a bit I just i find it really odd and i'm not adverse to the to an elvis remix you know i'm a big fan of a little less conversation as as you yeah but Ocean's that's like 11. a really good, good remix. remix and i think it's because it actually just pure does that not sort of purely just rely on Elvis? Yeah, of course it does. And it doesn't have like a contemporary singer in it. No, it's, it's just, just remixing the track, yeah. which works really well. Yeah. Whereas when you get like a contemporary singer into, I don't, I don't know. A thing that reminded me of, right, is there's a, sorry for bringing this up. There's a uh, notorious B.I.G. album, right, that was made like way after he died. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, session songs. And then it's got like, people he was friends with within the yeah. world of hip hop like rapping alongside him as if they're like new and modern songs and I just for me it felt a little bit like yeah because like if Elvis was alive now he'd absolutely be doing songs with Eminem mm. wouldn't he yeah. which I'm not sure that's the case and that's no. why I don't I, I, I just find this like merging mm-hmm. to be like I, I have personally reached my I've just had enough of it yeah, I, it I pulls you works. out. It pulls I me actually, out. I, I mean, rewatching Gatsby really spoke to me wow. because it just, and we'll talk about it, but like properly pulls me out. Yeah. And also it kind of like weirdly, it well, no, it ages it. It ages it. Like it's gonna, you can absolutely tell like what, to well, the year when a song was released based on the, and I know you can say that about a lot of films, but like really but, it it's just really funny but there are ways of making it work i.e the way that it's executed in moulin rouge for example Mm -hmm. where actually i think that it 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 functions Mm -hmm. but then there and actually i think that almost has like a timelessness yeah 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 it does but there are ways where it's like who in 20 years time is gonna be like oh yeah doja cat like yeah like and also i swear and i'm probably wrong but i'm gonna say it anyway when we were watching the film I felt like I heard the Doja Cat moment. I heard the Eminem moment. I didn't really notice any of the other tracks. Like a lot of those sort of tracks that are um, on the soundtrack. I felt like some of them didn't feature that heavily. I don't think so they were even in them. There were like two or three tracks that seemed to like really loudly drop out of nowhere yeah. and feature. And then it went back to just like lots of actual moments well, the... with Elvis. So then it was just like these really random contemporary songs dotted in. There's a strange imbalance. Yeah. And the ones that are the most out there are the most obvious. And that feels unfortunate to yeah. me. Whereas a lot of the uh, the rest of the time we were listening to like either actual like Elvis or just rearrangements or slightly like rearrangements it was just this weird like oh now someone's rapping over the top of I don't know it just didn't really work for me in the same way no that's it there are like a couple of there are a few songs I do like um but it it's again not surprising in the slightest but um yeah it doesn't always work does it um 
if we so we we spoke about sort of our um our thoughts on sort of our relationship to biopics what did you think of the story and the structure of this film because i think that's where things probably get messier are uh, its approach to kind of biopic narration pacing all of that kind of just the way the story is told the tone of this is bananas it's all times. over the place isn't it um a thing i will admit to you on on podcast is that the week prior to this i watched for the very first time in my life um walk hard the mm-hmm. jimmy cox story mm-hmm. which is a john c Riley film that came out not long after walk the line yeah and i yeah. shit you not Steph. the entire time i was watching this because obviously walk the um walk hard is a uh parody of like the musical biopic mm-hmm. and it's really funny to realize how beat for beat so many of these musical mm. biopics are in terms of like inciting incident x y oh god yeah there's they're Um, so formulaic aren't they but there is a genuine moment in elvis that if it's not in any way a like slightly sly nod to walk hard Mm. it's like just a hysterical because i'll show you after this i will show you the video on youtube but basically in uh, elvis when he goes and he performs for the first time Mm -hmm. and like all the teens in the mm. audience are like getting really rowdy and mm. a bit turned on. There is like an exact <gasps> scene. No, I really liked hard. that scene as well. It's a good scene, stuff, Oh no, but it's, but it's a rip-off, maybe. Well, it, it, is it, it or a homage? If it's not a homage, then it's like Baz Luhrmann has basically just in the in the way that Walk Hard goes, like this is all the things that happen in a biopic. Yeah, it's just a completely the it, moment of like yeah. So I, I so I in terms of like the structure and the story and all of this, I just sort of maybe maybe did myself a little bit of a disservice in terms of watching that film the week before. Oh no, maybe it was a great However, it almost enhanced it somewhat. But the, yeah, like I said, the tone is bananas. I'm not actually sure as a biopic if the structure of it worked particularly well for me. If no. I personally didn't already know a fair amount of information about Elvis having grown up in a household where my mum really likes Elvis, one of my cousins is a huge Elvis mm. fan. So if I didn't already know a huge amount about the the person in question, then I'm not actually sure what I would have gleaned from the film background-wise, to be honest. Mm. Um the thing that I find most baffling about this film is literally why am I having to view <laughs> Elvis through the lens of I Colonel know, Tom Parker? I know. Like this was. I, I mean, I was so surprised. I'd I'd managed to like I I purposefully actually try to avoid reading too many reviews. So did it, I because I knew we would be discussing this and I wanted mm. to try and be as open minded as possible, particularly given it's a director who who I found slightly hit and miss over the years. The thing I could only conclude is that like has Baz Luhrmann at some stage in his career been taken advantage of by some sort of like dark mogul overlord, because I I just don't understand why. There is so much Colonel Tom Parker yeah. in this. And yeah. I genuinely, if I was a complete novice and knew like fuck all about Elvis, mm. I would That's be not, absolutely yeah. bewildered. I would know nothing. It's not the angle you'd I would know it. absolutely nothing. Yeah. And was, yeah. also, we don't even learn a huge amount about Colonel no, Tom Parker no. either. So, like, what is No, the point it's of just it? like dude with dodgy accent in this. Why? Yeah, Why? like the only thing I. The only other thing I could think of, because it is totally weird, and as you say, I 
um, I knew I knew that Tom Hanks was in it, and I knew who Tom Hanks played. Well, famously, he caught COVID during the production. Oh yes, of course. But I didn't actually know that the narrative would be framed no. as from because again, Lerman likes a narrator. Um, I did not know that the narrator was going to be Colonel Tom. No, Parker, neither did I. Um, who I keep confusing with. Who is who's the old dude that died in England and was sent walking around the garden over and Captain over again? Dom. There you go. <laughs> Captain Tom Moore? No. Oh, Captain Tom Moore and Captain Colonel Tom Parker are getting really confused yeah. in my head. So in my head, there's a man with a Zimmer frame just walking around listening to Elvis. Uh, but yeah, the fact that this this whole plot is framed around the relationship between these two men, rather than Elvis's relationship with Priscilla or anyone else, very, very odd. I thought maybe it was supposed to be, because of the use of like Britney Spears and blah, 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 was it like... A story, I mean, obviously it's a story about exploitation, but like, you know, it's a, it's like a timeless tale of sort of pop star exploitation. Well, that's the interesting angle is, you know, it's, it talks a lot about the commodification of, you know, pop music and merchandise and Parker's like position as one of the first people to, so I can understand that that's. Like musicians being forced to do things they don't want to do in the name of money and to stay relevant. I guess he just thought, I didn't know if, yeah, as you say, it was either he had actually experienced that and has a chip on his shoulder or he was like, hmm, this is like a really interesting angle to like, well, yeah, you know, it, but the problem, the problem is that um, Tom Park is not really that interesting for no. me and he's quite flat in this like quite 2D he is like evil well he's a cartoon villain yeah you've literally got Elvis as like the hero who talks about like superheroes and then you've got Tom Parker the evil like yeah absolutely it's rubbing abs- his hands it's for money it's like pan- pageantry in terms of like like he's the villain and looming present taking advantage of someone who's got obviously like raw talent and he's sort of rubbing his hands together with glee and being like i'm gonna absolutely like this is my cash cow yeah but it was also strange because it you know in, in the beginning introduction parker says like you know basically i made elvis presley but then the film portrays him as the villain, but he's the narrator. So he's obviously not portraying himself as the villain. So I was like, he's the villain, but he's also like... Well, it just didn't really make sense to me. I was like, it's very strange narrative framework to have him as like... And I don't know, it just didn't really... No, it doesn't. And the thing is, like, in terms of like the narrative choice to have like an unreliable narrator, the thing with like the deployment of that is that the when you're utilizing an unreliable narrator, you sort of need to have someone you have to trust or like them a bit who, who you're convinced by and who you're charmed by. You there's know? nothing convincing and there's nothing about him. about him that's like in any way. No, endearing. and I don't know why they chose to put Tom Hanks in like prosthetics with a dodgy accent like that was real choices being ugh, made. like embarrassed just i don't know very weird and i i'm you know i'm maybe telling it from priscilla's perspective was too difficult because she's still alive and could probably sue you to shit but it was just a very it's a choice was very interesting yeah the narration just irked me after a while yeah as well. was there anything else about the kind of like um, the story and the oh, pacing wise it felt fine i do think that yeah for me um and it's not only my hand holding but like because of how messy i found it and how erratic and all over the place it naturally is by Mm. default being a baz lerman picture some actual like 
time markers in terms of literally telling me when this is. Would well, yeah, because it skips and jumps. Because it what is what one of the things that confused me a lot, and as is the point in history that you're supposed to be. And in terms of, I mean, obviously, I know I've talked about the way the clothes change, and that's absolutely mm-hmm. fine. But like, if I knew nothing about fashion and the changing of fashion mm. over time, then I wouldn't be able to go like, oh, sorry, we're in the seventies now because mm-hmm. everyone's hair's slightly longer, everyone's wearing flares. Um, although I did, <laughs> in, I do think that the, one of the things it does in in that sense is like absolutely peak biopic which is the use of moments in history to tell oh, yeah. where we are in time where it's like Martin oh, Luther King has been shot yeah oh my god Bobby Kennedy has been shot like that's one of my favorite things when you're doing a period piece and yeah. you need to like expressly denote the period of time we're <laughs> yeah. in it is what are people the watching moon landing. on the television yeah I was honestly it was like the, this is oh someone's talking about when JFK was talk, shot on the radio um yeah, it's like the actual, like, yeah. what can we use from history <laughs> to denote which period of time we're in because people might be happen to watching on mm-hmm. the television. So yeah. that, that was the only other thing I, I was just sort of, I don't know, just kept thinking about. Yeah, it was, there's that. And then there's also, I mean, a good thing is there was, like, a clear acknowledgement of the sort of societal climate of the time in yeah. terms of sort of segregation and racism. I mean, obviously that comes with its own mess and whether it's portrayed like sensitively or sort of you know from both sides but it you know it does sort of try and kind of contextualize it and it tries to acknowledge elvis's sort of love and influence you know from the gospel and blues music scene yeah so that's very like starkly made as a and i actually i did quite like actually how it did seem to attempt to make a point about the fact that actually, you know, one of the criticisms of people like Elvis mm. is how they obviously took music mm. that was rooted in like black American culture, yeah. like, you know, rhythm and blues, took those songs and made them mainstream mm-hmm. by re recording them and popularizing them yeah. in a way that obviously is sort of like just. I don't know, it's the ongoing commod- commodification of like black mm. culture for white gain. Like That's obviously a really Absolutely. wide historic complex issue. And I do think that it attempted to sort of show how actually like he was acutely aware of that. Like, oh, yeah. 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 And I, I thought that, that was... Not, it's not that I think it's admirable on any level, but no. I'm glad that they didn't shy away from it. And, it would have, and there were a few obvious. criticisms that they definitely chose not to include oh, in yeah. this, but this was one that at least they did feature. I did like that you got to see, literally see some of the black musicians that yeah, like had that. an influence or an impact on his career. So yeah. like B.B. King, Sister Rosetta Tharp, Big Mama Thornton, Little Richard. So they yeah. all have roles, which is quite cool. Yeah. Although it is also quite interesting that they choose to sort of acknowledge them and feature them, but not dig any deeper into those relationships. So you see... They're basically, they either quite passively happy with mm-hmm. him there yep. or they don't notice him at all. So you don't get any insight actually into how they, we've got this climate of segregation and racism, but you don't get actually get any insight into how they felt about no. him making music. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. watching this film, they're basically either happy with it yeah. or they're not noticing. Like yeah. it's very strange. There's so no there's, perspective. No, there, it's all, there? it's quite no. superficial. It's yeah. an acknowledgement, oh, yeah, but there's level. no like, you think there's a few moments there where there might be like a confrontation yeah. or 
some sort of tension or at least a kind of like, you know, you're making like real bank off me. And there's like a couple of light comments that are made in a kind of ha ha ha, I wouldn't get that thing. But there's no actual tension there, which would have been slightly more interesting. Yeah, so there were moments where I thought, particularly in his interactions with BB King, where I thought there was going to be more of an exploration of that and it just didn't happen. And actually that like, would have been Would he not have been like, dude, this is pretty shit yeah, really, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Instead of being like, huh, isn't it funny? I'd never make money like this. Yeah, exactly. But it was a bit bit too lighthearted. So it was kind of good, but also, you know. It just scratches like you say, the surface. It was scratches the surface of it, which is better than some other biopics, I'm sure. Um, and it's nice that it was done. But also, I think I think that also would have made it slightly more interesting, actually. Yeah, I is do. to I don't know, you can just portray some of those tensions and then... Like, I don't know, yeah, have the TV on in the background with those sort of, like, racial tensions happening and then not really do... Like, if you're going to choose to feature that, you're not going to go any deeper into it. Although I guess that's really not Lerman's style, is it? Is that I was what just going to say, it's really him? surface level, which is him all <laughs> over, I think. Um, what did you think of the performances? Because, I mean, that's, I guess, the whole thing hinges on the performances, so that's the other big thing for me. I think Austin Butler saves it. I think if it had been anyone else, I'm not sure it would have functioned particularly well. I don't... I think... Like, it could have all gone so wrong with that key casting. And I think, actually, to his credit, Baz Luhrmann's done a really good job in casting someone who I think does sort of get lost in the role in the sense that at some stage I stopped thinking that's Austin I Butler. honestly forgot it was him at some point, convinced. especially near the end yeah. with the final show and his performance of Unchained Melody. And there's kind of like a switch at some point. They do use some of the original. Yeah. And I honestly couldn't he did a good job he really did a good job i think it's i think the strength of his performance is where some of the other performances by comparison just seem slightly ropey i mean i famously am a big tom hanks fan uh yeah but what was my guy doing honestly i'm quite embarrassed for him in this it was making me wince i honestly am just it's flat and embarrassing. It's and mortifying. Yeah, like, it's... I just, I'm really perplexed by it. Some real choices being made here in a way that, like, I just don't think benefited the, the film in any capacity. No, like, I did, can we stop putting like dudes in big prosthetics? He could have just well. bulked up. Can't we just? He's bulked up for roles in the past, right? so there's literally no reason. Stop to put him in like sticking weird chins on people and also, like. Also, I know <sighs> that maybe I I I haven't looked at any pictures of Colonel Tom Parker, but like even if he was slightly stockier, you there's yeah you he gotten was away, stockier. You could have gotten away with just not bothering. You know, yeah, no one was... is going to go like, oh, well, this film doesn't work because. He's three sizes smaller than the real... T- like, no, nobody is picking Can we not cast... That. Maybe we should just start casting people... I mean, we do in other roles, like casting dudes that are actually older and maybe there are, are similar. There are many men in Hollywood body shape. Like, varying different body shapes. Right? Just... I don't know why they had to choose Tom Hanks for that role. I wasn't <sighs> like, wow, this is such a Tom Hanks role. And my wow, only, it's a natural fit. My only thought process is that he's a big Elvis fan, perhaps, and yeah. just was desperate getting on it. Um, and he's a big star. And he's a big star. Um, my little heart when Cody... I'd forgotten oh Cody my Smith was, God. was in this. Cute. And when he turned up in his Adorbs. little cowboy outfit, I was Yeehaw! honestly lo- losing it. Like, love him. Love to see him. Um overall though from a performances point of view and from a casting point of view my big feeling is why 
and I know he's supporting the industry in his home country and I love Australian or Australian. So but why does he insist on casting Australians in American roles? Like I'm honestly I'm perplexed by this because arguably it works sometimes, but literally I just don't well, I mean, why do Americans insist on casting well, Americans again, in British yeah, roles? Exactly. It's, just, it's I think just one it's prob- of those yeah. things. It's, it's, it's like... It's nice when it's people nice. that have been consistently in his films all the time. I get that. You want to work with the same people. But I do just find a bit like, really couldn't find anyone... Yeah, maybe just when it you works. You couldn't find anyone from the American South who could do an authentic, realised yeah. accent. No. no. Couldn't do it. Um, however, I will say, I personally loved when Billy from Stranger Things turned up. That was exciting, wasn't it? It was the fact that I was going like, "How do you pronounce his name?" Dacre. I call him Dacre. Dacre Montgomery. When I was looking at him on screen, he's got real Zac Efron vibes as well. Looking at him, going like, "Why does it look familiar? Why does it look familiar?" And then I was like, "Oh my god!" Is it also like, "Why does Elvis's dad look familiar?" Oh my god, it's the Jew. I couldn't believe that. Maddening. So yeah, that's my that's my feeling regarding uh, performances very good feelings i enjoy them they're good um i cannot believe how i'm quite shocked by how good austin butler was he's he's gonna win the I, he I will and i actually think fair dues because i just thought he was gonna do a good impression of him but like he there wasn't really a bit of it that he didn't nail no and the only thing i will say regarding just the concept of elvis is that it, i think i said to you afterwards when we left that I just feel like because he's such like a cultural icon and there have been so many versions and impressions and parodies over the year that I just had this like moment halfway through and I was just going to myself like, do you know what? Nicolas Cage has just absolutely ruined Elvis, <laughs> Elvis for, me. for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because there was just moments that where Elvis was just being Elvis and I was going like, why does that? Oh, it's because literally Nicolas Cage in- has integrated yeah. this into his entire career. But it's not bad your thing. idea of... Big fan of him. Yeah. But I was just thinking like, oh, you yeah, know, it's because he does that thing all the time, doesn't he, with his arms? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. absolutely. Um, I can't believe how handsome Austin Butler is as Hot. well, which is just... He really nails that you so understand gorgeous. why everyone would be obsessed with him. Oh, that's the thing I it's thinking. like... It's specifically the eyelashes. Oh, God. It's the eyelashes are, I, I don't forget, but it's tr- nice to remind yourself how big Elvis Presley's uh, beautiful eyelashes were. Delightful. Like, just gorgeous. And he's got a very nice Bill Skarsgård mouth, which is like a top tier mouth. I just think he's, um, I just thought he was, I'm shocked by how good he was. I mean, he was rehearsing and filming that role for three years, which, I mean... It, by all reports he got very sick immediately after finishing filming and went to hospital because it basically too much out took too much out of him so um people need to check but it, it's kind of like very impressive slightly worrying um but also impressive yeah but he clearly went in hard and i think that that's like a really early indicator of him being a really big star yeah i think i think he's gonna do um, good things 
I agree with you completely on Tom Hanks, unfortunately. Um, I liked Olivia de Jong as she was Priscilla a Presley. Yeah. She looked absolutely the part, thought she was great. Um, and again, I really liked those portrayals of the other musicians. So like Kelvin Harrison Jr. as B.B. King, Alton Mason as Little Richard. Like such a small great. Yeah, role, small, performance small role, but like one of the most memorable parts of the film, yeah. I think. So really brilliant. Um, so mostly really strong performances apart from this completely baffling choice of Tom Hanks and this irritating narrator. I'm not sure I'll ever get my head around it really. No, Mm. no. Is there anything else about this film that you would like to touch upon? I'm still just thinking about the Doja Cat thing. I keep coming back to it. It really just, I think I I was really, it, that was yeah. like, I don't know, 20 minutes in. And I think I reached across to you and I, I just was thinking to myself, like, I if this is what it's going to be, like, I'm going to have to leave. <laughs> I can't do three hours of this. So I was relieved that it didn't. There's not a lot of it, which is really, yeah. yeah thank God. Yeah. Um, we briefly touched upon um, the fact that uh, it the film sort of acknowledges the difficult, the controversy around Elvis borrowing um, ripping off using influenced by um, a lot of sort of gospel and blues culture. Um, this film definitely takes a very deliberate stance not to acknowledge other controversies. Oh yeah, I mean, I will, I will say that I said to you again when we left the cinema, I was like, yeah, weird. It doesn't mention that. Priscilla was fourteen. No, and he was twenty-four. Nobody no, likes to talk they basically about that. try and cover it by saying there's a point where he mentions that when she turns forty, he'll be fifty. Yeah, there's that one line, and yeah. I was like, "Hello, they're just trying." That's like that the tiny acknowledgement of the age difference there, like blink and you'll miss yeah. it. And that was like a tiny little touch on the, but it does. And then you go if you work backwards from that, you go. Huh. Yeah, but and it think, wasn't actually. Yeah. I think that's the thing that when we left the cinema, that was the first thing I checked because I'm like, I'm pretty sure there was a very significant age gap for them, which, like, and the and the timings of it was not like, oh, she's eighteen, he's twenty eight. No, it, it was, was like, a little. No, it was it's a little, a little bit so weird. Wasn't they it? have, uh, yes, been quite selective, I think, in eliding that for reasons that I'm sure are quite obvious. Yeah, I mean, I'm again, I'm not really surprised that Basil and decided to not oh yeah well, tackle some yeah, of those fine. but then it, it all ties into that choice around like the story you're telling with a biopic as well doesn't it and what you choose to omit what you include um and i it's... think as well that it's interesting that the family are so on board with it as well of course they are because actually ultimately you're not going to put anything in a film because the presley estate now it has the family have control back from obviously t- colonel tom parker um they have, they have such a type. There's yeah. There's no way, and which is probably why they couldn't do any Priscilla like yeah. real Priscilla heavy stuff because they just never get away with it. No. Um, so there's a huge amount of whitewashing there, basically. Um, so no wonder I'm not surprised at all that they love this because it is basically a superhero film about yeah, of course it is. like an incredible man, yeah, which um, you know what that aren't all biopics a lot of the time are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so generally. I think generally we enjoyed it. Yeah. I had a very good time. Yeah. Um, I mostly just thought about Austin Butler for like four days. It's been nice to think days. great years, yeah. Um, just lovely face. I have lovely also face. just listened to some Elvis. Um, I also, it again, it made me just want to come out of the cinema and listen to actual Elvis. Yeah, which is... Not the Elvis soundtrack. No, actual Elvis. I was Elvis. like, no, nah, I just want to listen to... Great. 
Um, I'm really into. Got a lot of hits. I'm I'm a rockabilly now. <laughs> so after that discussion on uh, Baz Luhrmann's most recent film, we thought it would be interesting to do a little bit of a retrospective and talk about his filmography more generally um, because we have rewatched all of it. Uh, recently we have it's and it's a strikingly short filmography yeah thankfully it's not Thank like we've decided God. to do 20 films merciful can you imagine if you had to do 20 Baz Luhrmann films I, I think you just I would wouldn't like I wouldn't they just got longer and more intense I just as wouldn't. time went on no so <laughs> yeah. glad there were like five films to watch so uh let's start with our introduction to his work what was the first Baz Luhrmann film that you saw I am pretty sure it was Romeo and Juliet I yeah. think it was like early days I remember watching it and not understanding a lot of it no. absolutely fine um that was definitely the first then the two that I can't remember between are I became Moulin Rouge became a, a big part of my personality when I was a teenager but we also randomly studied strictly ballroom in media studies did you yeah well for my, so Interestingly for me, I'm fairly certain that I the first Baz Luhrmann film I saw was Strictly Ballroom. Oh, was it? Because I think I'm pretty sure I saw it at home with my mum on video. She's a big fan of Strictly Ballroom, so I'm pretty sure that I really, really overwatched it as a yeah. child. Oh, interesting. In like a slightly bizarre way. And if it wasn't that, then it obviously was Romeo and Juliet because my cousin was obsessed with it. So Yeah, um, I mean, so many people we knew were... Probably obsessed with Romeo and Juliet. An extremely key film from the 90s, I would say. Yeah, I would say so, rightfully so. Iconic. Um, So in terms of, I guess, like Baz Luhrmann's style and his direction, what he's known for and his place in film culture, I guess we've spent a lot of time dissecting Elvis in particular, but he does Mm. have a very unique style. I feel like you do know a Baz Luhrmann production when you see one. He has, he very much leans into that like auteur theory where it's like it's really obvious because directors follow similar beats in oh my every God, single so much. film. And it, I feel like something we'd informally discussed between us is that when you watch his films back to back, they are essentially the same They're film. They're the same film. Over and over. So, so much the same. Yeah, it's it's really striking, as you say. There were, if you'd asked me before this rewatch sort of words I would use to describe his films it would be things like hyperbole like flamboyant ridiculous um (laughs) but dizzying just you know a bit manic um and I would think initially of theatrical cinema Mm -hmm. so I would think about like whether it's an adaptation of a stage play or um, a film set on a stage like Moulin Rouge or like using theatrical devices like we said about the narrator and the sort of use of costume and colour and musical sequences like go on forever like all of that from Strictly Ballroom and Romeo and Juliet to Moulin Rouge are very sort of very theatrical aren't they and they're kind of their devices and their approach and you can tell that he is someone who loves theatre and brings theatre into filmmaking but then yeah as you... <laughs> As you say, the more you, the more you, if you watch them all together, there's like so much more that is. It's like hysterical. It's, I mean, it really is striking. I know other directors have like a style or you go like, you know, what's a Lynchian film, blah, blah, blah. But like, holy crap, there's just. It is funny. Yeah, loads of parallels. I was thinking 
about you know the the theatre element, and then I was thinking, wow, he also really likes literary adaptions, doesn't yeah. he? So like classical literature that's either remixed or reimagined in some way, often in a modern context. Again, which is much like Elvis, which is basically like a remixed biopic. Yeah, um, that's very much his thing. Yeah, recontextualizing classic stories, love stories, might yeah. I say, always like pretty much. I think every film is a love story. Well, are there I, any films a, that aren't? There's an interesting quote from Aidan Kelly at Collider that was talking about like ahead of Elvis. It was like sort of looking at Baz Luhrmann's films, and there's a quote that says every single one of Luhrmann's films features a complex romantic subplot lightning fast editing and cinematography and plots that move at a pace that can only be described as breakneck um you're right everything is so theatrical operatic chaotic heavily influenced by fashion and the grandeur of Mm. bollywood there's a real suspension of belief really lavish productions over the top techniques stylistically Mm. such an emphasis on like heightened reality Oh, it's all turned up to like, yeah, like you say, turned up to 11. It's so... Absolutely. He's a romantic, so all of the plots are about love or unrequited love. or Romance overcoming the odds. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Often tackles stories of morality. Youth and ageing comes up so much. So characters who either die before their time. Oh, God, yeah. I I, I just... it It was just really interesting to watch them all back to back and actually see these consistently recurring threads mm. that even when he's tackling things like the great gatsby or romeo and juliet they all beat yeah. for beat they're exactly the same they are aren't they and we talked about the the like the, sh- the the use of like the shots and the use of editing and elvis and again like every i mean we most recently watched gatsby and even those like hilarious like cgi external shots almost like flying through the air of the outside of like a city or a setting like that happens in every single single film film. absolutely it happened in elvis happened in moulin rouge i was like jesus christ this is happening it's like from strictly ballrooms the only one that's like slightly because strictly ballrooms almost like documentary it's the real outlier so it is the outlier so it makes sense that it was the first one yeah So that's the kind of outlier. There's definitely things in it that you go like, oh yeah, you know. You can see the early seeds, yeah. But it's just, yeah, it is quite funny how they're all bloody, they are all the same. I know, I love that I noticed when we saw Elvis that, um, so his production company, Basmark Inc., um, the logo that appears at the start oh of the God. films has the line, a life lived in fear is a life half lived, which is a quote from Strictly Ballroom, his first film. But it does seem to encapsulate his entire vibe yeah. because it's like everything operates on such an intensity yeah. that it's almost just like, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it, like turn to 11. Yeah, yeah. And that's just the thing. I... He's directing all films like they're like his last film. Yeah, and, um... I, and, and it's not to say that I don't think that he's obviously like had an impact oh, within God, the film yeah. industry. Because for example, if you think about like, we've obviously talked a lot about the use of music and soundtrack in his films. Mm. Moulin Rouge, for example, is, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's like the first like jukebox musical, no. but the sort of way that that inserts contemporary songs into a musical setting and makes them relevant to what's happening within the plot. For example, the use of Roxanne, mm-hmm. Children mm-hmm. of the Revolution. Oh my God, um, Roxanne, that's such a good version. You know, that's, that's, that at the time, 
felt quite yeah like new yeah and absolutely different and something we hadn't necessarily mm-hmm. seen for a while and then that often now just seems to be the case and it yeah. was really interesting re-watching everything mm. particularly with the late stage stuff yeah where it's like we've already said it just goes from like five to five thousand yeah and i do feel like it, his career to me feels like one of two halves mm-hmm. where it's like the Red Curtain trilogy. Uh, well, yeah, literally. It's literally like the curtain comes down after yeah. Moulin Rouge and that's this perfect little trilogy. Mm-hmm. And then everything else afterwards mm-hmm. is just very interesting. Yeah. And it's also funny that, as you say, all these all these films feel very similar in lots of ways. The one really distinctive thing about each of them is that they are so, especially, well, musically, they occupy such a very specific moment in yeah. time like we said before so like Romeo and Juliet is like the most 90s soundtrack yeah. with like garbage and Radiohead yeah. Moulin Rouge is the same Gatsby's the same so it's just they're just really f- hilarious very specific <laughs> they're kind of all the same and yet they're very like it's like almost by the decade like, there are elements this that is really... the early noughties yeah. this is the later noughties yeah. this is going to be the 2020s yeah. now is the Elvis era and, and actually in terms of seeing what he does next I think that's what intrigues me the most because it's like how are you going to go from because almost with Elvis it's like going back even further because yeah. you're taking actual music from actual mm-hmm. period of time mm-hmm. and, and, but, and remaining it within that mm-hmm. historical period it's not like you're going like I'm going to modernise Elvis and make yeah, it could you imagine? do you know what I thought about that I was like imagine if he'd done like a modern retelling of the Elvis <laughs> I story. I mean, that would be... And isn't that you hilarious? Wouldn't, you, you wouldn't, wouldn't put, put it past him. him. Yeah, I honestly contemplated that and thought, huh, that, that would have been batshit, wouldn't it? Like some sort of weird time-travelling Elvis. Hey, if anyone would But you would wouldn't, you wouldn't... Yeah, that weird... Yeah. Just, um, so, in terms of his work, what are some things that we sort of do think that he executes well of what elements of it that we like in particular? Well, I mean, we've already, we've already said the <laughs> Red Curtain trilogy... I mean, so so Strictly Ballroom is the first. Mm-hmm. That's 92. I think of my, of the trilogy, that's probably my least favourite yeah. of the three. But it has all that early trademarks of sort of a, you know, Lerman's style. And you've got the, like you say, like the real height and drama of like a ballroom competition. Yeah. And even things like there's lots of like, extreme makeup i know i mean i know that's because of the ballroom setting but also it is extreme like the extreme makeup the extreme facial like close-ups like the the quick edits sort of like off the wall it's like an off the wall australian dirty dancing yeah it is 100 um and i do like it i I think it's good it's a very sweet story as well actually yeah it's it's very australian I think you it like works it, really yeah. well. Yeah, it is one of my favourites and it was really interesting re-watching it. And actually... I haven't watched it in so long. No, neither I don't think I. I've watched it since I was at school, potentially. No, and I think it is interesting because you do sort of see the origins of a lot of his mm-hmm. stylistic and aesthetic choices, mm-hmm. which now seem so unhinged. <laughs> I was going to say, somehow they're even madder than they were... Yeah, but it, it, so I just think it's interesting. Like like every director, actually, it's interesting to sort of see their origins and see where they've started from and see how they've kind of just like either gone in a completely different mm-hmm. stylistic direction 
or how they've just sort of taken that thing that they're known for gone and like built and on it and built on it and built on it. And I definitely think that you can see that within the Red Curtain trilogy as mm. a as a trio. I think that you can see the way that they kind oh, of Oh god, take yeah. You the, contrast that to Moulin Rouge. Yeah, absolutely. Like... But I think that yeah, it's just a re- it's just a really interesting split for me in terms of like pre and post Moulin Rouge. It really is. In a in a Also the evolving use of CGI which appears to get more and more and more over time. So you've got nothing in the I mean obviously we weren't using CGI in the artists but good god damn he will put CGI in anything now. Any excuse. Like Gatsby was like why have you like CGI'd a tree in the background very um well let's talk about let's talk about the red curtain trilogy a bit more i would say romeo and juliet is objectively his best film yeah 100 percent. i don't i actually i actually like for me personally there isn't a huge amount in it between romeo and juliet and moulin yeah i would also agree both occupy a very sort of sentimental place hugely sentimental in my heart for varying reasons in terms of when the the sort of like points they occurred in my yeah. like adolescent life yeah well Romeo and Juliet works for us as well because it's what 97 yeah it's I mean the story itself is obviously extremely dramatic and high stakes but yeah we're it's first love it's like it it, it, it it's works like really well for us as well. as a, yeah. it's a key Leonardo DiCaprio moment. There are so many needle drops in that. Oh, the soundtrack. So well. I also think that in terms of renderings of Shakespeare on screen, it's so, again, it's, so, such a good choice to reimagining it in a contemporary setting, but to actually rely on the original Shakespearean yeah, dialogue and yeah. not to have reworked that in some kind no. of modern... And I think, I that think wouldn't I'd, have worked. I think I'd forgotten that, actually, when we mm. rewatched it the other day. I think I'd forgotten how how it is completely true to the original text. Yeah. Because I was I've studied, obviously, like all of us have studied Shakespeare mm-hmm. at some stage, many stages over our academic career and I think I'd just really forgotten you know you just pick it up being like oh yeah I can I yeah, yeah like there's passage, like passages of it like, that I dissected because he's just left it yeah in a way it, that works really well yeah and as you say it's like 90s heartthrob Leo like prime yeah. moment Leo um those wonderful early Leo years that should basically lead up to like the beach and then yeah um I saw a critic on Rotten Tomatoes describe it as quote a violent swank trash music video like it's a bad thing how's that a bad which thing? i thought i thought was a very good thing i think i will literally never get over in my life is the way that the first time that you see leonardo dicaprio on screen as romeo the fucking audacity to literally drop it at the same time that like genuinely the best radio yeah, i know game. you know it's just like what this is like, li- like a literal cultural reset yeah like that's just it in is. terms of like oh that's how you're introducing mm-hmm. like the main character of your and it's like a music video it's like so the whole thing is like a music yeah, video of course isn't it? it is but then the cultural impact of that genuinely mm. of like literally every single film that's ever come tried to come close to it afterwards yeah. in terms of like that moment in mm-hmm. time he just really managed to to get Leo at that point in that time. Yeah. Where for a lot of people, particularly our age, yeah. it's either like you you either in terms of like your um your sexual awakening, but <laughs> you were just like 
it's Leo. It's either Leo in Romeo and Juliet, or it's Leo in Titanic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do get you get choice one or choice two, don't you? It's hard to see past that as well. The casting in some of these films is incredible, actually. Um, But the Moulin Rouge, I think Romeo and Juliet is objectively the best. I think Moulin Rouge probably just pips it as my favourite, but only because. I don't know. I've just spent so much time with I've it. I've seen that film so many times. I think it's probably one of the films that I've seen most in my life. Yeah, I, there was a period of time where I would just put it on. You know, you just... I mean, I, we've obviously talked about this in previous episodes anyway, but there are some films that you can just put on or if you happen to catch it on television at any you moment... Just you just always watch it. it. Ocean's Eleven for me is one mm-hmm. like that, where it's like, I can go into that at any yeah. point. I'm not, like, annoyed that I've missed it. It's just like, oh, of course, I'm just going to mm-hmm. sit and watch it. And Moulin Rouge is exactly I will always same. cry at Moulin Rouge as 100%. well. And it's... Gets watching me. it with Wes, it helped to remind me how completely bonkers and also objectively embarrassing at the film oh, yeah. is and yet like the level of sentimentality in that film is mad and i just cannot help myself the greatest thing you'll ever learn, learn is just to love oh I'm god it just it's, just it's fucking stupid honestly and yet here i am so embarrassing i was sobbing just sobbing and oh yeah the comedy in that is really good. It's complete. It's that early, yeah. It's just all the earliest stuff, like the Moulin Rouge segment at the beginning, fucking mad. The the bit where Christian first meets the young Bohemians and yeah. like the fuck, like the hills are alive, yeah. but insane. In but does what it not? It, it, it's so like I, I often just think about how it's obvious to me that Baz Luhrmann has roots in theatre oh god yeah and performance yeah. and things like that because it's so operatic yeah it is it's so it's just theatre it's just so overly theatrical yeah. he's like absolutely through and through theatre kid and it just comes off the screen like it's so obvious yeah it is completely but flamboyant it works. And, yeah no, it, it just roots. works so well but, uh, but also that use of like a virgin will just never not be so jim broadbent singing like a virgin really gave it his all. is one of my favorite things yeah, to ever it? experience it's so good um okay so they're the good mm-hmm. we tried to watch australia what the fuck man? aka the bad so australia came out in 2000 moulin rouge was 2001 lemon came back with australia in 2008 for some reason he chose to follow moulin rouge with a three-hour historical epic which touches on race and gender in a way that we didn't ask for. It's kind of slightly more dialed down than the other... Well, it is more dialed down than the other films, and yet the weird quasi-comedy sort of tone is still there. Um, We, full disclosure, didn't get through all of it. We did an hour and a half. We did exactly an hour and a half, and then we switched it off, and we were not going to go back to it. I had a feeling it was going to be quite boring as well. Yeah. I wasn't entranced and I was mostly just a bit insulted. I just don't understand it. I find it fascinating. I think that, like, I like Hugh Jackman, you know? He like, was really hot in that film. Fucking hot. I, in it. Th- this is when you know something's bad if we can't get through a bad film yeah. because there's a hot person in it. I, Neither I of us could manage it. I will watch any dross. I will genuinely watch anything. If someone's hot, the amount of bollocks I've honestly watched at any point in I'll the watch stuff on years. mute if I have to. There was a period when I was watching, like, literally just the worst films because Sebastian Stan was in them you know? yeah he like, has I'm been not, in a lot of I'm bad not, films I'm not adverse to lowering myself just to get some content 
but I just maybe I, not culturally insensitive films. It's so though. weird. I don't just I don't. Can you believe it's the third highest grossing Australian film of all time? I mean, I mean they don't have loads, granted. but they've got a, they've got a they've very got a f- vibrant film industry. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have loads. It is behind. I will tell you. What's the other two? Avatar. Uh, well, guess you have to guess. It's not actually Avatar. In terms of actual Australian production, yeah, is it going to be something weird though, where it was like filmed? In what Australia? I like, no, what a really big Australian film, Crocodile Dundee, yes, Mad one, Max, two. They oh, are okay. the two, <laughs> the two films sure. uh, are Crocodile Dundee and Mad Max. Um, Crocodile Dundee, guys. isn't Hugh Jackman just Crocodile Dundee in this film? You literally said that. Yeah, you were like, isn't he just Crocodile Dundee? You're like, oh, she... crikey, that's true. That was a really, um, not <laughs> even. Ben Mendelsohn turning up. Did it for her. Did it for me. Yeah, so that was a big no from no. us. Did not finish. Uh, and then we watched Gatsby again, which was 2013, um, which is Lemon back to 11 o'clock, isn't it? It's a lot. We've got dazzling, dizzying visuals. We've got completely over-the-top performances. We've got, like, 24-hour partying. Um, how do you feel about this film? Okay, so the thing is, I'm a massive simp for F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's true, she is. And, and I shall not apologise, because I do think he genuinely has written some of the best pieces of prose in modern history. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing with Gatsby is, and I, I'm not going to say this to be a dick, but like I, I, I spent a lot of time studying it when I was at university. And I do think the thing with Gatsby is that it's often misread... Like, the concept of Gatsby parties, like, for example, makes me die, because it's like... Have you I was going to have book? that as my birthday this Were year. Oh, oh, yeah, my God, obviously. sorry. The shiny Gatsby story, the obviously. The shiny Gatsby story, yeah. Um, and, you know, and culturally there's been, like, entire misreadings of it, etc., etc. Like, not going to monologue about this. And, and I was really interested going in at the time to sort of see what Baz Luhrmann's take would be on it. And obviously it would be completely the wrong take. And there is just so much... Leo is a perfect Gatsby because he manages to balance what I think is inherent in Jay Gatsby in that he's just really overconfident mm-hmm. but he's extremely sad and depressed. Yeah. And Leo I think You can see it in his face. You can see it in his face. Yeah. He's such an expression oriented actor in terms yeah. of like he just has to give you a look mm-hmm. and I think you can fall apart. And I do when we rewatched it last night, I was just thinking like he he is good. He yeah. is a good Jay Gatsby. Um but Everything else about this film is fucking bad. It's it is so so it's bad. It's not a good film, is it? I don't. I'm. I don't mind Kerry Mulligan as Daisy Buchanan. Fine. I don't mind like the casting of like Jordan Baker and Tom Buchanan. Like I think that Elizabeth Debicki. How do you feel great. about Joel Edgerton? <laughs> I like Joel Edgerton, but. I mean, Tom Buchanan's not a nice character anyway. So essentially, I'd rather you put someone that I was like vaguely. Yeah. fine about in that role when he's essentially like a raging racist yeah. and flanderer man. the casting of Tobey Maguire in this yeah. as Nick Carraway is bollocks the framing of uh, Nick Carraway writing this book in a therapist's office in order to like <laughs> get Gatsby out of his system is unhinged um, the use of music in the this music film, is I, mad honest to god had really blocked it out and it was only when you first get that first jay-z and kanye west oh my god needle drop that i was like oh yeah no because it's 2013 isn't yeah. it jay-z's an executive you know exactly where you were on yeah. this film i remember at the time was obsessed with watch the throne as an album we went to see that tour yeah we did stuff. yeah um and it's such a a, a stuck in time 
anachronistic choice yeah. that I think actually is the worst in all of Lemons. Yeah, I think it is. I agree. In terms of like the, the way that music is used, and I know that it's meant to be a look... Or it's meant to be taking like the excesses and like the work, like the fact that obviously like a lot of rap and hip hop mm-hmm. comes from like predominantly working class yeah, backgrounds it... where people are elevated to like extravagant levels of wealth, etc. I don't think we want that... to align that with gas, but it's like it's That's not a good key. film. It felt like a slog. At one point, I genuinely it's very long was just like scrolling Twitter. I I watched this on my laptop, and I genuinely at one point just had Safari up. I could listen to it in the background, yeah. but I just you don't really out. yeah no. It's, it's too disappointing, much. and I feel like you could have done a really interesting look at Gatsby, but the use of CGI in this is bananas. What is, honestly, the things that don't require like a tree doesn't require CGI. I just don't understand. I can only assume that he just wanted to to give it some sort of like otherworldly glow yeah absolutely because there's so much grandeur in it and there is so much artifice in it because that is literally the entire point it's coming at a particular period in american history Mm -hmm. where you do like the land of the ashes is meant to be looking at by the way that like essentially america built itself Mm -hmm. because obviously like it's literally what it did Mm -hmm. you know this particular period in time like the way that long island and east egg and west egg there is lack of development there mm-hmm. because they are moving out from the city. Like, it's just, you know, that's just the building of structures and, and inner city and outer yep. city, etc. blah, blah. But on the plus side, we've got some great memes. <laughs> Honestly, the genuine highlight of that film. We're like, oh my God, I can't wait to queue up this meme oh, I've got it, for I've got when it... it ah, he's oh, done it. There he is, he's done the lifting there he done glass little Lifting the glass, happy new year. Um, Yeah, it wasn't very good, was it? Oh, just the casting choices, I think, also as well. Sometimes in Lerman films, are just slightly bewildering to me. Sometimes, I mean, truly, looking back on all of it, bar Strictly Ballroom, I guess the others like mammoth castings, yeah, absolutely mammoth castings, and has sometimes, as you say, caught actors in their yeah. like early years in a way that's like, wow, fuck, they went on to be well, so. I I find it fascinating if you think about like you and McGregor in Moulin Rouge at that point. He's just come off the back of mm-hmm. doing like train spotting and all of yeah. the indie films he's just under star wars mm-hmm. prequels as well he's like obi-wan kenobi and then he goes into like moulin rouge and you caught him at like a, such a prime time so really good catching and, and i think austin butler will be another one for yeah. sure but yeah it is it is funny how clearly you can like split the first three films and i i, I found that really striking these two. this time around i think elvis of this latter three is for me like easily the well it is easily the best yes, of the three since 2001 um what's your overall ranking then from worst to best to work from worst to best so yeah. backwards um yes australia on the basis that we didn't fil- finish it that was very bad and there I are just, many films that i will watch all of not good um gatsby yeah uh and then elvis Strictly Ballroom, Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet. I think Elvis would go up further if I watch it again. Yeah, I think mine's almost the same. Mine is definitely Australia worse than Gatsby. I put, and this is purely, this isn't objective, this is purely based on like enjoyment factor. I put Strictly and then Elvis, although Strictly is technically the better film. Yeah, yeah, I know what I mean, yeah. But I did have good fun with Elvis as like... I'd rewatch it. A big event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good fun. I I had fun with it. Um, so yeah, so that 
pips it slightly, but not, but strictly is obviously, I think, objectively the better film. Then, Mul um, then Moulin Rouge and then Romeo and Juliet, even though actually that goes against my prior thing by saying Romeo and Juliet is my favourite. I just think... No, sorry. Moulin Rouge is my favourite. Romeo and Juliet is objectively the best. I think it's his best. I think, um, I think for me, Romeo and Juliet just, like... I think I'm always... Every time I watch it, I'm always taken it was by deeply it nostalgic just, for us It's so well. nostalgia-drenched. And also that soundtrack is just so of its time, but not dated. It's really timeless. It works so well. It's, like, actually really well executed mm. needle drops. A visually aesthetically the, the the clothing choices just everything about it i think is 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 lerm and at his best yeah i think you're right i think you're absolutely right well that was fun i look forward to seeing baz lemon's new film in 2030 i do like that he doesn't just churn him out you know no it's credit credit to him it's actually quite um, he does know how to space it yeah i mean they're all six hours long so that's probably why he needs fine, the though. time but yeah. um yeah, we will. Uh, just, I will I'll probably always end up going to see whatever films come out, won't I? But um, it's always interesting. It's always a ride. Would be interesting to see what other people thought of Elvis and also how they feel about Buzz Lemon more generally. Share, share your rankings. We're interested to hear them. So that's us done. You can find us online with Twitter at the Thirst and Instagram at the Thirst Pod, or you can drop us an email on the Thirstpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of any of the things that we talked about today. You can subscribe to the podcast too on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can give us a nice review as well because it does help people to find us easily. We'll continue to share links to anything we mention on our blog and the URL for that is thethirstpod.wordpress.com. Also make sure you have a look at the show notes where there'll be a link there. Uh, bye. Bye. Anyway, Austin Butler, he sings the parts of young Elvis when he's young. Now, why have I put that? <laughs> <laughs>